Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. And this morning, I want to talk about, and confidence, as we talk about confidence, I want to talk about getting your confidence back. Now, confidence is a belief or a trust in someone or somebody, something. And we talk about confidence in ourselves and confidence in others. Confidence becomes the, it really, it's, it's a filter. And it's, it, it tints how you see the challenges and your ability to handle the challenges in front of you. Have you ever noticed that when your confidence is high, problems seem small? And when confidence is low, problems can seem really big. Confidence is, it expands our ability to act, to manage, and to handle the challenges and difficulties that we face in life. My children were born during the time when, and a lot of it, and you parents understand, what they call the self-esteem movement. Self-esteem movement, we begin to tell children in school that you're awesome, you're amazing, you can do anything, you're wonderful. And don't get me wrong, I have no problem whatsoever in encouraging children And I believe as parents that we need to speak words of faith over our children. We don't need to speak words of of gloom and doom. We need to tell them that God has a destiny for them. God has a plan for them. God's got good things for them. We need to speak that. We want our children speaking good things about themselves. But we don't need to stop there. If we're going to really build confidence in our kids, confidence is not built from giving everybody a trophy. Confidence is built by helping our children face the challenges in front of them and overcome them. As parents, I know the tendency is to to desire to mow down all the problems so our children never experience problems. That's not going to help them in the long run. Help them handle the problems in life while you're their parent. Affirm that they can make it. And when they overcome, it's going to help them in life. So it's, it's, the, it's this confidence, how do, you, how do you build it? Not just telling them they're wonderful, but helping them deal with things in life. One of the challenges about confidence is that confidence can get a bit shaky. And sometimes when we've experienced hard times, our confidence goes to a low place and we realize we gotta get it back. Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica and he, and he wrote this, he was talking to them, they were experiencing trouble. He said, we sent Timothy to visit you. He's our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. Paul sent Timothy down there to encourage them and strengthen them in their faith. You say, well, I thought we're talking about confidence. You do realize that the two are so connected. You can't say I have confidence in someone, but I have no faith in them. Confidence and faith are, are, are just, they're, they're really in a sense the same thing. Someone says, I got confidence in God. That tells you they've got faith in God. And so we're able then, to, as we're able to, to, to build confidence and help confidence, Paul sent Timothy to strengthen their confidence so that they would not be shaken by the problems. In other words, problems are coming, but when we have confidence and faith in God, we can handle them so much better. Now, one of the things I really think that would help us as, as, just as Christians is developing this mindset that our confidence in God is not a fixed asset. Sometimes we, we look at confidence like we look at height. You know, you, you are as tall as you are 
you know, by 30, you, you're there. You're, you're not going to grow anymore. My dad was 6'4", and at 30, I gave up being anything over than 5'10", and then later found out that he wasn't even my biological father anyway, that my biological, my biological father is Jewish, and I'm probably tall for that side of the family, and so I ought to be happy about it. But, the, but that's a fixed asset. I can't change that. But your confidence can change. And what they've determined is, and something that I think that would help us as Christians, just as believers, is if we adopt what they call a growth mindset. A fixed mindset says there's just so much talent, there's just so much ability, and my worth is determined by showing how much talent and ability I have. And we can take that over into our Christian life. There's just so much faith, and some people have it, and some people don't. You don't want that mentality. You want the mindset that says, wherever I am, I can grow. Wherever my, wherever my faith level is right now in God, it can get stronger. It can grow. If it couldn't grow, Paul wasted his time sending Timothy. He believed that their faith could get stronger. He believed that they could grow or he wouldn't have sent him. But he sent Timothy. And you're thinking, man, I wish somebody would send a Timothy to me. Good morning, I'm your Timothy today. <laughs> it's, a, it's something that you have to understand. Hey, wherever I am, maybe, I, maybe you prayed or maybe you believed and something didn't happen. Listen, don't give up. Don't count it as a failure and you just, have, you just don't have it. Just wherever you are, go, thank you, Lord. My confidence and faith in you, wherever it is, can grow and get stronger. There's a guy in the Bible who's one of my favorites. And he dealt with some really challenging things. And he really, it looks like he lost confidence, but then he got it back. So we want to find out how, how did he do that? How did, how did he get it back? His name was David. He is in the transition period between when he was anointed to be king, but he wasn't king yet. And he's running from Saul. And Saul is trying to kill him. He winds up living in a town in enemy territory called Ziklag. They had left Ziklag with his fighting men and come back and found that a group of bad guys called the Amalekites, a whole army of Amalekites had come in, burned Ziklag to the ground and kidnapped all, their, all the wives and the children, everybody. They didn't kill anybody, they kidnapped them. And when they found this, this was a, a bad day, devastating day for David. Look, let's look at the story here. David and his men came to the city, Ziklag, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Anoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself when the Lord is God. Then David said to Abathar the priest, Amalek's son, please bring the ephod here to me. This is what the priest would wear. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue. God answered. He said, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind who were so weary they could not cross the brook Besor. David experienced some major losses on three levels. First one was a relationship level. He lost, had kidnapped the people closest to him, his wives and his children. And then he's dealing with the uncertainty of, can you imagine just the mental anguish of what's going on in their life? Then he also deals with the fact that now his home is burned and all his wealth is gone. 
They didn't have a bank of Ziklag where you could keep your money. Everybody kept their money in their home. But his home was robbed and all his stuff was gone and then it burned to the ground. So that's a complete loss. And then the loss of his leadership position because the very people that he was leading now turned on him and were talking about killing him. David experienced some major loss. And then what we see with David though is how did he respond to that and how is his recovery? He responded by a way that I'll be honest with you, it blesses me. David, when he and his men saw what had happened, the Bible said they wept, they, they cried till they couldn't cry anymore. Maybe you ever cried out? You're just like, I ain't, I ain't got any more tears. I'm done. And they just cried. You say, well, Alan, why does that bless you? Because I believe that Hollywood has sold us a false narrative of what real confidence is. Hollywood has sold us this narrative that when you face these difficult times, you just face them with this like steely-eyed resolve. It's like, I'm not moved by this. Make my day. It's, it's got this... It's got this, or it's this sarcastic sense of humor that, you, you know, you're handling these things. I'm thinking of, remember the movie Die Hard? And, the, and you know, the guys in, in the major things, there's fire, people are trying to kill him, and he's crawling through an air duct going, hey, come out to the coast, have some drink. It's like, that's not how people handle things. Usually they're screaming their way through them. And so Hollywood has sold us this. David's crying and, until he doesn't have any more power to weep. But then he begins to recover. And David, he's also distressed because people are, are talking about killing him. But he doesn't lash out at the men who want to kill him because he recognized hurting people hurt people. These guys were hurting. And David never says a word of criticism about them. He didn't blame the men. He didn't blame God. He could have said, Lord, you know, ever since I've been anointed by you to be king, I've had nothing but trouble. And here I am trying to do the best job I can and I just keep getting hammered in one thing after another. He didn't blame God. He said, well, how do you know he didn't blame God? Because the Bible said because he strengthened himself in the Lord. You can't get strength from God and blame God at the same time. David, he, just, he, he had a relationship with the Lord, a good relationship with the Lord. And I'm sure he leaned back on that relationship. The Bible doesn't tell us how he found strength, but I do know this. He was a worshiper and David would worship and, and praise and David knew how to do that. Maybe he just got alone in, in his tent and sang psalms to the Lord. He had a great respect for God's word. In fact, he said, Lord, this is my comfort in my affliction. Your word is giving me hope. David had a comfort and he had a track record. The same God who helped him with the lion, who helped him with the bear, who helped him with Goliath, who delivered him and saved him time after time was the same God who was going to help him now. David began to find a place of strength with God. And then David took action. He prayed, but his prayer was not a despair prayer. It was not this prayer of, oh my God, oh God, what am I going to do? What's going to happen? David prayed a prayer of aggression. He's like, Lord, you want me to go after these guys? You want me to go get them? They were already outnumbered. You want me to go get them? That's the prayer that says, God, my confidence is in you. And if you tell me to go get them, we're going to win this thing. And he prayed and God answered him and David began to move. I think what's very interesting is he comes to a place at this brook Besor and 200 guys quit. They say, man, David, we're, just, we're, we're so tired. We can't go on. That tells us something. And you know this. Being down and despair and, and, and having taking shots like that can absolutely drain you. 
It can wear you out. And these men were just worn out. They couldn't go any further. Although I, I, if I was their wives, I'd be like, I ain't happy. Where were you? Oh, honey, I was tired. I know you were kidnapped, but I, I was tired. I was, I was catching a nap back at the brook. Yeah, you're going to be sleeping on the couch when you get back in the tent. It's, it's, that ain't going to work. But David could have gotten angry at these guys. He could have lashed out at these guys. He'd never said a word. He'd never criticized them. And I thought, man, that, that's, that's a graciousness right there. But the thing about it is David's confidence wasn't in his numbers. David's confidence was in the fact that God was with him. And when you know that God is with you, the numbers don't matter. It doesn't matter what the odds are. If God is with you, he's on your side. This is how we're going to come through. So what happened with David? Well, he, he, they found all the Amalekites. They killed them and they took their stuff back. They got their wives. They got their children back. Not only did they get their wives and children and all their stuff back, but they got the other stuff the Amalekites had stolen from other people. Isn't, that, isn't, isn't God good? I mean, he can not only restore to you, he can restore to you stronger than you actually were before. And so here he is, he's coming back restored, and those 200 guys come out, and they're like, hey, David. And so, some of the men said, we ain't giving them nothing. And, and David said, no, no. He said, the Lord has delivered us. And he gave them even a, not just their wives and their children, but a share of the spoils. That's someone that knew it was God who helped him. It's a confidence in God. He lost it. He got it back. What about you? Have you ever lost confidence and just thought, man, I'm in a place with God. I, I, I don't have any confidence with God. It's pretty normal. But here's the thing. That's not where we want to stay. David, he got back up. We want to follow his pattern. So what do we do? Well, here's, here's the first thing. Don't get bogged down in blame. See, when you start blaming, you're not helping yourself. When you blame God, you're not helping. Listen, guys, I've been doing this for a while. I've been a pastor for a while. I've never seen anyone who's angry at God and mad at God and blaming God who was on a good path. It's just not a good path. Listen, God is not your problem. He's your answer. And so don't blame him. Even if you don't understand, say, Lord, I don't understand, but I know you will help me and I know I will get out of this. Now, the next one's a little tougher, not blaming other people. And immediately people begin to go, whoa, 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 Alan, you, you don't know what's happened to me. You don't know that, that I got abused. And, and there have been things that have happened to people that should have never happened, ever. And maybe some things have happened to you that should have never happened, ever. But here, but you, and you're thinking, you don't understand, Alan. Actually, I do. Not to me, but to my daughter. My daughter was in an abusive relationship where she was physically and emotionally abused. And it put her in an incredibly vulnerable and, and, and bad spot. And she, it was a dark spot. It was a dark time in our life. And my daughter was there. And she finally said, when she began to come out of that, she finally, she was talking with a counselor and she said, with this counselor, I keep going over it and over it and over it. She said, I, I feel like I keep giving darkness to, to, to more darkness and she finally stopped going and I'm, I'm not this is nothing against counselors but she said I keep recounting the same story I'm not making any any progress she she began to say I've got to move on and she began to move on she said she picked up her bible again she began to read her bible she actually began to do things for other people but basically what she's saying is I'm not responsible for what happened to me 
but I am responsible for my recovery. Now listen, you, and that's, a, that's such a truth. Listen, listen to me. When you, listen, you may have had some horrible things happen to you, but to continue to blame and continue to blame is not going to help you. You stop being a victim when you choose to move on. And you just say, you know what? I will not be a victim for the rest of my life. I am moving on. And I, 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 I'm so glad to say my daughter was able to move on and it was a blessing. So we can't stay there. And you can't keep blaming yourself. You say, well, Alan, you don't know what I've done. Join the club. All of us have done stuff. All of us have made mistakes. But here's the challenge. You're not going to be able to redo the past by going over it and over it and over it and over it in your mind. That's not going to make it better. You're not going to be able to redo it. There's no time machine that says I get to go back and make it right. But you continue to blame yourself. You're going to be what happened to this guy here in the Bible. In fact, Paul wrote about it to the church in Corinthians. He said, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive. Talk about this individual and comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Guys, we're living in a generation where people are swallowed up with sorrow. We need to tell them, hey, you don't have to live in that sorrow. You can come out of that sorrow. You can have a confidence with God. Stop blaming yourself. Get God's forgiveness. Get his help and move on. Don't blame him. Here's the second thing. Do the things that bring strength. Do the things that bring strength to you. Now, we're in the middle of football season. Hallelujah. And foot. Football, see, and listen, and I enjoy, I, enjoy, I enjoy football. I watch more television during football season than any other time. But can I tell you that watching games, is, is, it's an escape. It's not going to strengthen you. And depending on who you pull for, it may really irritate, irritate the fire out of you. But the idea is entertainment, games, hobbies, retail therapy, all of these things that's shopping, or all these things are, they are an escape, but they won't bring strength. In them, in them, listen, I'm not against these things, but what I'm saying is they're not going to make you stronger. They're not going to help you move on. You say, well, what's going to help me move on? Hearing good messages will help you move on. Hearing good messages will help you strengthen. You're coming to church, to a good Bible-believing church will strengthen you. Praise and worship will strengthen you. Putting on Positive things that can lift you will strengthen you. And there's one more thing. You can turn to God for strength. Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, and this is what he, he wrote, 2 Corinthians. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted by God. Is there a theme here that you can see? It is it's God's comfort. Now, when I start thinking of comfort, I don't know about you, but I think of comfort food. Comfort, I was raised in the South. My parents were born in Alabama, raised in Georgia. My mom knew comfort food. Comfort food is not grilled chicken and a salad. That is not comfort food. That is good for you, but it's not comfort food. When my mom made comfort food, she made fried chicken with Crisco. Not the oil, that white stuff that came in a can slap that thing in there, make the fried chicken. She made collard greens, put sugar in the collard greens. She called it sugar. Honey, you got to put some sugar in this collard greens, take some of the bitterness out and some fat back up in those collard greens, make those collard greens taste good. My mama made cheese grits, 
put cheese all in grits and bacon bits. She crumbled them up in cheese grits and then made iced tea that was so sweet it could double up as syrup if you ran out. It was that. <laughs> I'm talking, that's good food. That food, you eat that food to make you feel good. Eat that and peach cobbler and blackberry cobbler with real ice cream. Forget yogurt. Put some real ice cream on that thing. Now the problem with comfort food is you eat too much of it, this screen's not big enough to contain you. I can feel my arteries clogging up already just talking about this stuff. We say, well, Alan, what, what has that got to do with God? It's got everything to do with God because God's word is comfort food. That word comfort actually means strength. It means encouragement. When you read God's word, it will comfort you. It will strengthen you. You read the Psalms and it will strengthen you. You read the gospels and you get to see what Jesus is doing and how he reveals the father and it will comfort you and strengthen you. Then you read the epistles and you find out what God has done for us and what the Holy Spirit can do through us and it strengthens us on the inside and there's no bad side effects and you don't get any bigger and it doesn't clog your arteries. It will help you and strengthen you. Thank God, it, do the things that bring strength and God's comfort is one of them. Here's the last one, take action. When you're getting your confidence back, you're building strength, don't just sit there. Go do something. You know, maybe you need to pray again. And this time, believe that God will hear you and he will answer you. Don't give up on it. Keep praying. Maybe it's do something. And by the way, you know one of the best things you can do is do something that benefits somebody else. You want to build confidence? Not just you. Do something that benefits somebody else. Years ago, we had a guy in our, our church. His name was Johnny big, tall guy, kind of quiet. He had a wife named Billy. They were very close. And Billy, after a long sickness, she, she went on to heaven. And Johnny was devastated. Joyce said he was a big man, grown man, sat in her office one time talking to her. He said, she said he just sobbed like a baby. He was so devastated, the loss. He wept, just like David. And uh, Johnny just, and the thing about it, he, he just wasn't getting over it. Well, Johnny had a friend in the church named Darlene Walls. Darlene is is my staff member with the most birthdays. She's had 86 birthdays. You say, she's still on staff? Yes, she is. In fact, Darlene is here at five o'clock in the mornings and she's helping to clean this. She's on our maintenance team. She cleans this church and keeps it clean. You say, well, why don't you retire her? One, she won't let me. Two, it's gonna, I got, I got to replace her with three people. This woman can work. <laughs> She's got the greatest attitude. She, she found Johnny and she said, Johnny, you need to come do some things. And Johnny's like, what? She said, well, come help me in the sanctuary. And so every, uh, like three times a week, Johnny would come five o'clock in the morning and he'd go for this sanctuary. You know, all the cards and the yes cards and the offering envelopes. Johnny was responsible for, for making sure that all of those were neatly arranged and that became his ministry. He used to put a light on his head and walk through the church, it, it, just putting everything back. It just blessed him. And what we notice with Johnny is it began to lift him. And he began to feel like I'm, I'm doing something that has purpose and has value. When my daughter was, was just in agony over her abusive relationship, we encouraged her to do something for someone else. And she started baking, she made some uh, muffins, some blueberry muffins, and she actually gave them to Johnny. And Johnny wept when he got him that somebody would do something like that for him. That giving cycle. Just started giving. Just started making a difference. It helped my daughter. It helped Johnny. A few years later, I had the honor of doing Johnny's funeral. He'd gone home to heaven. 
And I was amazed when I read the, the obituary because Johnny was, Johnny had like two master's degrees in engineering and a law degree. And we found out that Johnny was brilliant and an and oil company had sent him all over the world handling major projects and major difficulties. He was brilliant, but it wasn't his brilliance that got him out of that low place. It was his willingness to do something to bless somebody else. I think of what Jesus has done for us. And I think of the fact that when we were without strength, the Bible said, when we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. It's not like we did anything to earn it or deserve it. It's kind of like those 200 men sitting by the brook. We didn't do anything, and yet we got all the benefits of what Jesus has done for us through his death and his burial and his resurrection. It makes such a difference. Will you bow your heads with me for a moment? If you came this morning and you say, you know, Alan, I, I, I don't even know if I have a relationship with the Lord. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not comfortable. Or I know I don't, but I want one. Or maybe you're like I was. You raised in church, spent time in church, and just recognized, man, I'm away from God, and I know I need to come back. I, I want to come back to the one who can put confidence in me. I want to put confidence in something besides this world I'm trying to live in. Heads are bowed, and eyes are closed. No one's looking around, but if that's you, I'm talking to. And you say, Alan, one of those situations applies to me. Would you please pray for me? Would you slip your hand up just real quickly in this auditorium? Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, great. Thank you. Appreciate your courage. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand and you wanted to. You can pray this prayer with us. It's a heart prayer. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. You're watching online. If you're by yourself, pray it out loud. If you're with other, other people, pray it quietly. But pray this with us as the church. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord and as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I said yes to you. Now, if head's still bowed and eyes closed, Heavenly Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer, for those who have come out of spiritual darkness into light, and for those who have come back home. And Father, for the rest of us, I pray, Father, that our confidence in you is not fixed. It can grow. We can get stronger. Father, thank you for helping us move past some of the things that have held us back. And that, Father, with you, all things are possible. So we give you all the praise today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.